Hey, good morning, faith family. I want to say hello to our faith family in Lakeville, our faith family in the venue as well. I invite all of you, if you would, to please turn your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes, if you're kind of new to church or new to the Bible, uh, just kind of open it there to the middle. You'll likely be in Psalms, turn right to Proverbs, and then you'll find the book of Ecclesiastes after that. We are having a very honest conversation here at Berean about the meaning of life. We're calling it the search because the truth is every one of us is on a search to try to make sense out of a life that doesn't always make sense. Everybody's trying to do that. And the Bible has given us a book here. God has given us a book in the Bible that helps us address that search for meaning. Now, the tone of this book has been pretty intense. This is week number three. And uh, I've warned you and just kind of I want to encourage you to say that this is a good thing. Number one, your soul needs this. We've got to work through these things for, the, for our own sake so that we know where meaning is found. But here's the second reason, and I've had a lot of conversations with people about this. There are people you know who are asking these questions. There are people that you know who are feeling these emotions. And you need to be equipped, not only personally, but also for the sake of others to be able to share how you know there is meaning in life, because there is, and that's what we're discovering through this book. So uh, if you're new with us, because I'm constantly reminded that each week we have people that maybe weren't here the week before or whatever, so let me just quickly remind you about the structure of this so that it'll make a little sense when I throw out some things as we go through this. Number one, um, the book is, there's two voices. There's a narrator who's a father, and he is teaching his son wisdom in life in a fallen world, okay? And so a father is teaching his son wisdom, and he's doing that through a character by the name of Koheleth. Now, you're going to be asking as I go through this, and I keep mentioning the name Koheleth, where is that? I don't see that in the passage. When you see the phrase, the preacher... What you need to know is that's actually the Hebrew name Koheleth. There's not an English translation for the Hebrew name, so they translate the meaning of his name. The meaning of Koheleth is one who assembles like a teacher, like a preacher would. And so they just translate it. Rather than writing the Hebrew word, they translate it the preacher. But it's actually a name which is Koheleth. So I'm not making that up. It's actually there, okay? Now, Koheleth is a Solomon-like figure, someone of, of great status, as we'll see even this morning. And he's taking an honest look at life. And his conclusion is, it's meaningless. It's vanity. It's not that it's not good. It's not that it's not enjoyable. But it doesn't ultimately provide meaning because everything's temporary, Death kind of makes everything temporary. And number two, remember last week with Groundhog Day, right? Remember that? Between now and death, you're stuck on this endless treadmill. Anybody get on the treadmill this week and think about Ecclesiastes? And so you're stuck in this endless cycle, and that's why he's saying it's meaningless. Now, here's what we're going to do the next several weeks. Now that we know his conclusion, we're going to see how he got there. And what's going to be so fascinating about this is we're going to see how he uses the very things we try to use to discover meaning. 
And we're going to be looking at that, okay? So let's pick it up here at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12. Coelith's going to speak now for the first time. If you're able to stand in all our locations, I'll ask you to please do that for the honor of reading God's Word. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12. I, the preacher, I, Coelith, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I have applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What's lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. My heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. I applied my heart to no wisdom and to no madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. This is God's Word. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm convinced these words were breathed out by you. They come with your very authority, and they are to teach us about life in this world. They are to teach us where meaning is ultimately found. So, Spirit, guide us this morning, I pray. Lead us into truth. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. 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 Please be seated. Daniel Tammet is without question one of the smartest people alive. Daniel has autism and savant syndrome. But it's actually in his disability that makes his ability so amazing. You see, Daniel has an extraordinary memory, particularly as it relates to uh, numbers and language. Let me give you just a few examples. So, for instance, on March 14th, 2004, at that time Daniel is at the age of 25, he broke the European record for reciting the endless sequence of numbers known as pi. How many of you remember pi from school, right? The ratio of a circle's circumference to its diameter. What he did, and this is amazing, for five hours and nine minutes and 24 seconds, he recited 20,514 digits from memory without error. And the only reason he stopped after five hours and nine minutes was because he got tired. It wasn't because he messed up. Listen, I can't even eat pie for an hour. I'd like to try, but much less recite pie for over five. But not only that, take for example the fact that if you give Daniel a, 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 any date in history, he'll tell you what day of the week it was on. So if you tell him, for instance, August 14th, 1911, he'll say Wednesday. Or take, for instance, his math skills. Okay, so 31 by 31 by 31 by 31. Yeah, is 923,521. I dare say you're right. <laughs> um, or 17 times 17 times 17 times 17. Uh, 83,521. And it's not just calculating. His gift of memory is stunning. 
briefly show him a long numerical sequence and he'll recite it right back to you. 914, um, 1-8-4-4-2-1-7-1-8-4-4-3-2-2-3-8-1-8-4-4-3-2-2-3-8-1-8-4-4-3-2-2-3-2-3-2-3-2-3-2-3-2-3-2-3-2-3-2-3-2-
If somebody has the resources that I have, if somebody's in the position of life that I'm in, they will be able to make sense out of life if you can make sense out of life. Verse 13, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that's done under the sun. Coelith here turns over every rock. He looks behind every tree. He's dedicating himself completely to finding meaning. In life, he is doing in a big way what you and I do in small ways, what everybody does in small ways. I came across in my research for this series, uh, Johns Hopkins University did a study, get this, of 8,000 college students across 48 universities. 8,000 college students across 48 universities, and they asked them, when you get out of college, what's the most important thing that you want? What's the number one thing in life that you desire the most once you leave college? What they expected to hear were things like money, have a job, marriage, career. But here's what their answers were. 75% of those 8,000 students said their first goal after college, are you listening, was to find purpose. You see, that's what everybody wants. Nobody wants to get to the end of the life and say, I missed what life was all about. Everybody's searching for this. Well, Coelith devotes himself fully 24-7 to finding meaning in life. Now, if you were going to try to answer life's biggest questions, where would you start? You would start with knowledge. Doesn't, doesn't that make sense? If you're trying to answer life's biggest questions, then it would make sense to get as much knowledge as you can so that maybe you can find the answer. Verse 16. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. Coelith is the top student in the class. He reads every book. He graduates with every degree. He's got the GED and the MD and a PhD. He has so much knowledge that he's able to say there was not anybody before me who maintained or, or obtained the status of knowledge that I have. This is why I think this is an allusion to like Solomon. Do you remember in 1 Kings chapter 3? Do you remember? When God says, make your request. And instead of asking for riches, Solomon asked for wisdom to lead. And what did God say? Because you ask for wisdom instead of riches, I'll give you both. He has the highest level of of knowledge, of intellect, of wisdom that you could possibly gain under the sun in hopes to find meaning. Now what I want to submit to you for just a moment here is that we do the same thing. Here's what I mean. All of us in some way look to knowledge to provide value, meaning, significance, or worth to our lives. Let me give you just a few examples. We do this in small ways and big ways, right? So, for instance, there are some of you that uh, you thought, if I could only be accepted in that school, then I'll be accepted. If I can only go to that prestigious academic, academic institution, then I will know that I matter. Or, for instance, I adjunct at three schools, and so I will often get uh, emails from students that say, can I write the paper again? 
Why? Why would you want to do that? Because I don't want to do anything that's going to jeopardize my 4.0. I don't want to do anything that's going to affect my A average. Were any of you students like that? Okay, good, two of you, all right? You're like, no, like I have all A's and I don't want anything because there's a sense of which I've got to maintain that. It gives me a sense of value. Or what about this? We watch shows like Jeopardy. We play board games like Trivial Pursuit. We watch movies like Goodwill Hunting or A Beautiful Mind or and there's a new one out, The The Accountant. Like I am fascinated by movies about people who have enormous intellect. It's why I loved this week studying about Daniel Tannen. There's something in me that loves that sense of knowledge and thinks, man, I wish I could do that. Boy, I wish I were as smart as them. How many of you like being the smartest person in the room? Some of you are like, I don't know what that feels like. No, sure you do. (laughs) Sure you do, right? And here's what I mean. I'm not going to point anybody out, by the way. Here's what I mean. Do you know that feeling that happens inside when all of a sudden a topic comes up that you're an expert in and all of a sudden, listen to my language, all of a sudden you can contribute? to the conversation. Like, we're talking about cars. I know cars. We're talking about theology. I know theology. We're talking about sports. I can talk about sports. We're talking about cooking. I know cooking. We're talking about financing. Oh, I know finances. You see, all of a sudden, there's a knowledge that you feel like you have, and in that small way inside, you feel like, now in this conversation, I matter. You see, we do this all the time. Or, if, if what I've said thus far hasn't got you, this will. How many of you can't stand not knowing? How many of you have ever asked this question? I don't know, like all of you? God, why is this happening? Why am I going through this? Now, what's going on mentally with that? You're saying, if I had the knowledge as to why I'm going through what I'm going through, then I could make sense out of what I'm going through. If I just had the knowledge, if you just give me the answers, God, then I'd know. And knowing is like a warm blanket that makes me feel good at night because it gives me a sense of control. It's why you can't stand it when somebody says, I've got something really important I want to talk to you about, but we'll talk about it next week. And you say, no, we won't. We're talking about it now. Why? I've got to know. There's something about knowing that makes me feel like I matter. There's a significance there. How many of us as parents have told our children this? Get good grades in school so that you can go to a good school, get a good degree, that'll get you a good job, and that will lead to a better life. I don't know, like every parent... Why? What's the mentality? Knowledge is what will get you to the good life. My point is to say everybody here is like Coelith. We're thinking that knowledge can provide meaning in life. That knowledge, if we could just get enough of it, would answer life's ultimate problems. And here's the ultimate uh, clincher as to why I know this is true for all of us. You ready? If I haven't gotten you yet, this will get you. Because it is, it was, at the core of the fall. Do you remember Genesis 3? 
Let me remind you. Genesis 3, verse 4. Look at it on the screens. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. How so? Knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. What was going on there in the garden? If I could just know, then I could be God. God of my life, God at my job, God at my school, if I could just know, then I could be in control, I could reign, and we've been eating that fruit ever since. All of us in little ways and in big ways like Coelith look to wisdom and knowledge to say, if I could just get enough of it, then I can make sense out of life. And so Coelith reads every book, he gets every degree, and here's his conclusion, verse 14. I have seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, shocker, and a striving after the wind. Same thing, verse 17, I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, and I perceive that this also is but striving after the wind. He says it's, it's meaningless. It's like catching the wind. Have you ever caught the wind? Not for long. It's this constant, constant, constant search. And he says it, it, it's meaningless. After all his reading, after all his studying, after all of his degrees, after all his knowledge, he ends up like Daniel Tennant. Lying on the floor. Staring at the ceiling. Realizing his knowledge won't take him far enough. This is where Coelith ends up, and he's going to give you five reasons why knowledge can't provide meaning. Why knowledge um, can't answer life's biggest questions. You ready? This will be fun, right? Here are five reasons from Coelith, and then we'll deal with him in a minute. Number one, the reason why knowledge can't answer life's ultimate questions is because it increases your sorrow. It increases your sorrow. Look at verse 18. I'm ripping this right out of the text. Verse 18. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. In other words, rather than free you from your problems, knowledge only opens your eyes to more problems. In most things in life, the more you know, the more you wish you didn't. Ignorance on many issues is bliss. Because the more you know about life, the more you know how absurd it is. Let me give you some examples. The more you know about politics, <laughs> do I even need to finish that statement? No, I don't, right? The, but I will. The more you know about politics, the more you know how corrupt it can be, right? The more you know about theology, like I've dedicated my life to the study of theology. I have a degree in theology. And here's what my study of theology has taught me. The more I know, the more I realize how much I don't know. I mean, the more exposed I get to God, the bigger I see that He is. 
And I realize how much more there is to know. Or what about church? Like, don't raise your hand or point, all right? But, but, but some of you had the mentality that church is going to be this peaceful place where we all hold hands and everybody gets along and sings kumbaya, and then you went to church. <laughs> You're laughing because it's true, right? And then all of a sudden you realized it's actually full of sinners, and there's conflict, and we don't always agree. That's true in any church, right? My point is there are all kinds of areas where more knowledge actually led to more anxiety. It increased your sorrow. Here's a practical one for me. You can call me a wuss if you want to, but for me it was roller coasters. Oh my goodness, when I was a kid, I would get on any roller coaster. It didn't matter how fast it went, didn't how many circles there were. Now I get on one and I'm terrified. I would just as soon keep my two feet on the ground. Can I get a witness? Amen. Hallelujah. Preach, preacher. Like, like my, my son's like, let's ride. And I'm like, let's not, right? I just, like, I know too much now, right? I mean, I, I've gained in knowledge so much. I have responsibilities. I have children. Like, my knowledge now of life means I get really nervous when I get on a roller coaster. Before, when I didn't know all that, I was too dumb to think any different, so I just went, right? And so this happens in all kinds of ways. Knowledge can't ultimately satisfy because knowledge in most areas leave you saying, I wish I didn't know that. Number two, why knowledge can't ultimately answer the questions of life is it provides no security. Flip over to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 where the issue of wisdom and knowledge gets picked up in verse 13. And we're going to stay here for just a moment. Look at verse 13, chapter 2. Then I saw that there's more gain in wisdom than in folly, and there's more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. And I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart, this is also vanity. What's he saying? Wisdom is helpful. Wisdom is a good thing. I mean, it's better than being a moron. I'll give you that, okay? But wisdom doesn't make your life any better. It doesn't make your life any better. Listen, the, uh, the heart attack doesn't stop to ask if you graduated college. The drunk driver doesn't swerve out of the way of smart people. Cancer's not going to stop and ask you what your IQ score is. Hurricane Matthew doesn't care if you graduated from Harvard or the School of Hard Knocks. Knowledge will help you a lot, but it won't guarantee you a thing. So it's good to know it's better than the alternative, but it will provide you no security in life. Number three. Why knowledge can't ultimately answer life's biggest questions is because it won't be sustained. Keep reading now in verse 16. This is so encouraging as a preacher. For the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have long been forgotten. In other words, if you're a good preacher, they'll come hear you preach. And guess what? They'll walk out the door and forget everything you said. It's really encouraging to me, right? I'm so glad I put so much into this, right? So that next week you'll be like, what series are we in? Uh, what, huh? 
It's true. It's totally true. Think about your best favorite school or or class throughout your education career. For some of you, that was kindergarten and recess. For some of you, that was college. But what was your best class, your favorite class? Now, can you restate every single bit of content you learned? Nope. And that's with your favorite one. Imagine the ones you didn't like. I mean, you may remember a thing or two. You may remember a couple of principles. or You may even remember the teacher's name. But you have forgotten most of what you've learned. That so encourages teachers in education, right? But it's true. It can't and it will not be sustained. Number four, knowledge can't ultimately answer life's questions because it won't keep you safe. Keep reading. Verse 16, next phrase. How the wise dies just like the fool, even rhymes. In other words, what's Koala saying? You can outsmart a lot of people, but you can't outsmart death. This guy didn't. And he's Einstein, right? I mean, he's like the standard name that we use for smart people. You know, oh, so-and-so, they're oh, like an Einstein, or I'm no Einstein, Right? And even Einstein couldn't get out of death. So what's the point of being really, really wise if you can't even outsmart death? Number five, the reason why knowledge can't solve life's ultimate questions is it provides no solutions. Look at chapter 10, verse 11. You'll notice it on the screen if you don't want to turn there. This is a little proverb that he gives. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 11 says, If the serpent... Bites before it's charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. (laughs) What's he saying? You gotta laugh eventually to stay sane. Um, If you had the wisdom to train a snake, and I have no idea why you'd want such wisdom, but if you had it enough to train a snake, that wisdom and how to train the serpent won't help you when that serpent bites you. In other words, it won't solve, it doesn't bring any solutions. Uh, All the knowledge in the world won't bring your spouse back. Every single degree America offers will not answer why you had three miscarriages in a row. You can have all this knowledge, but when it comes to life's biggest questions that you're asking, it simply doesn't give a proper solution. So here's where Coelith ends up. And I'm going to tell you, guys, listen, this is maybe some of the most paralyzing, heart-wrenching words in all the Bible. Look at verse 17, chapter 2. So I hated life. Oh man. Oh man, that's rock bottom. That's rock bottom. Do you know why Coelith is at rock bottom? I need everybody here at Lakeville Venue. I need everybody listen to me. Because do you know what's worse than never getting what your heart desires. Actually getting what your heart desires and realizing it doesn't satisfy you. 
Do you know what will break you more than never getting what your heart desires? It's getting what your heart desires and realizing it provides no meaning at all. And Coelith is like Daniel. He's laying on the ground. He's staring at the ceiling saying, knowledge hasn't taken me far enough. And if I were real with you, if I were honest with you, I hate life. Tim Keller writes, most people spend their lives trying to make their heart's fondest dreams come true. I mean, isn't that what life is all about, the pursuit of happiness? We search endlessly for ways to acquire the things we desire, and we are willing to sacrifice much to achieve them. But we never imagine that getting our heart's deepest desires might be the worst thing that could ever happen. And that's where Coelith is. What do you do when you spend all your life trying to get knowledge to answer life's questions and they don't answer life's questions? Well, here's his summary then. Here's what he's going to say. He's going to give us now a proverb as to the way you need to think about life. Look back at chapter 1, verse 15. Here's his um, summary, if you will. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Here's what he's saying. Life is a question that cannot be answered. That's what he's saying. That's why it's vanity. Life is bent. It's, it, it's broken. It, it's off course. And it cannot be made straight. So here's what you need to just come to grips with in life. When you're at the grocery store, the other line will always move faster. It's just, it's just how it is. That as soon as your hands are covered in grease, your nose will itch. That as soon as you buy it, it will go on sale somewhere else. That the probability of someone watching you is directly related to the stupidity of the act. Be assured of this, that if the shoe fits, it's probably ugly. This is just how life, it is bent, it is broken. I've been trying to tell you this from week one. Coelith is saying, if you take an honest, I mean an honest look at life in the fallen world, the right conclusion is this, it's not how it's supposed to be. There is something wrong. When you've got this much knowledge and you still can't figure out life's answers, something's wrong with the world. It is broken. And you can't make it straight. And do you want to know who's to blame? God is. That's what Coella says. Look at verse 13. Oh, now we're getting real. Ooh, we're about to go there. Okay, come with me. Over the line. Here it is. Middle part of verse 13. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Do you hear what he's saying? This pursuit that ends up in no answers is what God has given the children of man to do. 
God has created life this way. God has made it where there is no answers to life's ultimate questions, or at least you can't find them. If you think I'm, I'm pushing this too far, listen to what Coelth will say in other verses in Ecclesiastes. Look at this on the screen. You can jot them down for reference sake. Listen to Ecclesiastes 7, verse 13. Consider the work of God. Consider the things that God does. Who can make straight... Do you see the parallel? Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. Enjoy the good days while you can. And in the day of adversity, consider this. God has made one as well as the other. And why has he made the crooked day and the joyful day? So that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Listen to Ecclesiastes 8, verse 16. When I applied my heart to know wisdom, to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God. There's that phrase again. That man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Hmm. Now this is where I'm saying, like, if you're new to Berean and you're maybe you're not even that connected at church, here's what I want your response to be. Man, I didn't know I could go to a church that would actually talk about this kind of real life. Because I'm telling you, maybe not all of us, but my guess is most all of us have been this point at this point where life didn't make sense. And if you don't like the way the store is arranged, you blame the manager. If you don't like the way the team is playing, you blame the coach. And so if you don't like the way life is ordered, guess what? Look no further than the one who created life. That's how we feel when life doesn't make sense. Coelith is saying life in a fallen world is bent You can't make it straight. And God has seen to it that you can't find the answers. So here's my suggestion. This is Coelith talking. Now we're about to deal with him in a moment. Here's what Coelith says. Here's my little fortune cookie for you. You ready? Here's my tidbit. I've told you my search. Here's all my research. And here's my my conclusion, my suggestion for you. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 16. Be not overly righteous... And do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? (laughs) You just got to laugh at some point to stay sane, right? But be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? So here's, here's his suggestion in life. Don't be an idiot. Because after all, go to school, learn, because you need knowledge you got to have some knowledge to make it through life, but don't know too much because it will drive you crazy. So my little advice to you, Coelith is saying, is know enough to get you through life and leave the rest alone. And all God's people said, no, we're not going to end there. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Now, I asked you last week, this is so much fun and it's so real life. I think that's why it's so enjoyable to teach these things. Um, 
you're at the coffee shop with Koheleth, and he's just laid all this out. What do you say? Don't say it out loud. What do you say? Where do you go? How do you answer a man who is wise? That is, he's making rational conclusions about life. Here's what I say. Koelith, you are exactly right. I don't disagree with what you're saying at all. In fact, I want to end this morning by giving you two areas that Koelith is exactly right. Are you ready? You ready? Everybody right here. Meaning in life is found in wisdom. You heard me right. Let me be as clear as I know how to be. You will not find meaning without wisdom. Koelith is right. He's just missed one important thing. Are you listening? Every ear right here. Lakeville venue right here. Listen. But what if wisdom is more than proverbs and principles? What if wisdom is a person? Well, that would change things drastically. In fact, listen, listen, listen. Listen to what the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth who, according to the culture, are being told that meaning is found in human philosophy. Meaning is found in human wisdom. And so Paul writes to that church in that context and says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, For the word of the cross is folly. Ecclesiastes language. To those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many powerful, not many of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now get this next phrase. And because of Him... You are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. In other words, wisdom is not found in college. Wisdom is found in Christ. Wisdom is not principles and proverbs. Wisdom is a person. And you will never make sense out of life until you know Him. As your wisdom. That changes everything. It totally. He's right. That meaning is found in wisdom. He's just looking in the wrong place. True wisdom is a cross. And an empty grave. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And if that's true, and it is true, it is the good news of the gospel, there are two very important implications of which I don't have time for, but I'm going to give you anyway. The first implication is this. Because wisdom is a person, you know you're walking in wisdom when the world thinks you're foolish. 
Do you see what I'm saying? If wisdom is a person and you're following that person, and that person, Jesus Christ, is all about the kingdom of God, then as you live in the kingdom of man, they're going to think you're crazy. They're going to say things like, how in the world can you give that way? How in the world can you forgive like that? Why would you spend your time serving in that, in that way? How could you approach marriage like that? How could you respond to suffering with that kind of faith? In other words, you're walking in wisdom when the world looks at you and says, your life doesn't make sense. I know. Because wisdom is Jesus. And I'm following after Him. It means that life will only make sense. Life, listen to me, life will only make sense when you have discovered the foolishness of following Jesus. And as long as you keep trying to live this life according to the wisdom of the world, you will continue to end up on the ground staring at the ceiling knowing your knowledge didn't take you far enough. Implication two is this. And I, I, I say this jokingly, but honestly, I wish I had more time to develop it. But I have to say it even quickly because here's what some of you would say, particularly young people who are in school. You would say, sweet, ain't going to class tomorrow. <laughs> and it's just following Jesus, right? Just follow Jesus, mom, dad. It's not about college, it's about Jesus. Pastor said so. Because of that, I need to say this. When you see that wisdom is a person, then all pursuit of knowledge is an effort to know and glorify Him. In other words, if all truth is God's truth wherever it is found, as Augustine said, then go, learn, study, think to the glory of God. It's a reversal of Eden because you're not looking to knowledge to become God. You're looking to knowledge as a means of worshiping God. Whether that's algebra or chemistry or math or whatever topic it is, you approach that topic as a means of knowing and glorifying God, which ought to make you the best student in the class. Because all the parents said amen, right? Right? All the parents said, hallelujah, preach, preacher. And talk to my child afterwards, right? When you understand that wisdom is a person, it changes why you go to school. It changes why you read a book. Because you don't turn your brain off if you want to worship God. And so this actually doesn't say, oh, learn as little as you can. It says, I want to learn as much as I can. Not because I think it will provide meaning, but because I've already found meaning in Jesus. So Coelith is right. Wisdom is absolutely the key to meaning in life. He just doesn't see that it's a person. And then here's the last thing he's right and then we're done. Is that God has made life so you can't find the answer. What did he say? You heard me. God has made life where you can't find the answer. I didn't say God has made life where there is no answer. I'm saying God has made life where you can't find it on your own. Listen to me and we're done. 
James 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be not gained, it will be given him. What am I trying to say? It's this. Meaning in life is found not by becoming wise enough that you figure life out but by realizing you're not wise enough to figure it out and must look outside yourself to God. I'll summarize it this way. Wisdom is found not by self-effort, but by surrender. God loves you so much, He wants you frustrated with your lack of answers under the sun so that you will surrender by faith to the sun. Yes, He set it up where you can't figure out the answers because you weren't designed to figure out the answers. You were designed to surrender to a holy God who would then give you the answer. And as long as you're trying to figure it out on your own, you will never figure it out. You at some point must come to where Coelith comes, to where Daniel Tammet comes, lying on the floor, staring at the ceiling, realizing your knowledge is not enough. So that in that moment of surrender, you'll finally understand where meaning is found in a fallen world, namely faith in the person of Jesus Christ. So I'm asking you today, would you be foolish enough, foolish enough to stop living life according to your own effort, according to your own knowledge, and would you surrender by faith to Jesus Christ? Because I'll tell you this, if you will do that today, you will be without question one of the smartest people alive. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning um, because we are all here. We are all trying to find some level of knowledge to answer life's questions. And the problem is not that we look to wisdom. The problem is we don't know who wisdom is. But this morning your word has shown us that true wisdom is a person. It is Jesus Christ. He became for us the wisdom of God. And when we know him, when we surrender of our self-effort, and we surrender to him, then and only then can we begin to make sense out of the life that on our own Never made sense. Bring us to that point this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.